Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully you guys are getting ready for tennis, the BNP Paribas Open, the Indian Wells Open, and things outside of that nature. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. We can get into Kanye West and Pete Davidson, like the music video and whatnot for Easy, and just the overall my overall thoughts and reactions to it. Uh, Brendan Shop suing YouTuber for telling jokes. We'll get into that as well. Suing the YouTuber Unique, uh, Y E W N E E K, very 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 weird name for a YouTube channel, but uh, we'll we'll go with it. We can also discuss Novak Djokovic being active for the French Open as. The French government has decided to lift their vaccine requirements and just my overall thoughts and opinions on that in terms of news within the tennis world. And obviously we can start off or we can end it with my weekly pick, which wouldn't be really of a surprise. But based off what I said last year with my no superhero movie rule, I think I'll leave an exception for this movie because I really enjoyed it. Uh, but we'll, where, where we will start off for today will be quite simple. It will be Zhang Shui versus Diana Yastrzemska for the line open final. If you guys didn't watch it yesterday, watch a pretty you uh, you didn't you didn't watch a good match. Uh, I mean, you watched you did you you didn't have time to sit through a pretty interesting match, which I feel bad for you because it was really good. It was really good. I enjoyed it myself. Uh, Zhang Shui beat Diana Yastrzemska in three sets, uh, 3-6, 6-3, 6-4. I think that's the final score, but if it's not, correct me. I think that's the final score. I'm pretty sure that's the final score. Uh, but yes, Zhang Shui has beat Diana Yastrzemska in three sets. Overall, I watched the match and I really enjoyed it. I, it was very thorough, very interesting, and I would say quite important because if you guys understand what's happening in Ukraine, Diana Yastrzemska is Ukrainian. So... I really was pulling for Diana Yastrzemska in this match because of that. I know I don't want to invoke politics into tennis, and usually we should keep it a little separate, I would say. Uh, but a part of me did feel like I should root for Diana Yastrzemska because of the fact that, you know, she is Ukrainian and, you know, what's happening there is, is it sucks. I mean, I'm going to be quite honest here. It quite sucks what's currently happening in Ukraine. Uh, but yes, Zhang Shui was facing Diana Yastrzemska. And overall, I, I want to say this. Diana Yastrzemska for the first set played phenomenal. I would say that first set and the beginning of that third set, she was on fire. I mean, she was making all the correct ground strokes. She was able to pull Zhang Shui out of her game. She was able to make her a little bit mad, especially in that latter half of that third set. Even though she was a little bit down in that third set, the latter half of that third set. The fact that she was able to get into Zhang Shui's mental and, and just screw her over because of it, I think that was great to see by Diana Yastrzemska. And I really thought that was a very important calculated decision that she made and it really paid off in the end. Or it didn't really pay off in the end because she didn't win, but it definitely did have its payoffs certain at certain parts of the match, which I thought was very, very important to see. So I really thought that was great. Again, 6-3, six, uh, six, six, she won that first set. I mean, she was just dynamite with the with the serves. I mean, when I saw that those serves, it was just so powerful. And it was just something that Zhang Shui was, wasn't really able to be accustomed to be seeing. And I think that is something that you have to give Diana Yastrzemska the benefit of the doubt for. She really had an amazing, amazing match. And, you know, even though she, even though she, even though she did lose in the match pretty decidedly, if I may say so myself, I mean, not so decidedly. What am I saying? 
But even though she did lose the match, she did show glimpses where you can really see parts of her, mat, of her game and how it can really sort of continue on in this WTA schedule, but more importantly so through the Grand Slams. And I feel like if she has that same sort of mentality and that same sort of power and that sort of fierceness into those Grand Slams, then I think she will show a competitive showing and a legitimate showing in these Grand Slams. So I think this is uh, good to see by Diana Yastrzemska. Uh, but overall, Zhang Shui did win. And there are parts in the match where, you know, I mean, Zhang complained about crowd noise and whether the ball was in or out at around like 3-4. She was up th- four games to three, even though she won that third set, uh, which it did happen during, like she was complaining about crowd noise and whether the ball was in or out many, many times during that entire game, 3-4 game. But even though she was able to, you know, come back and, and make it 5-4, I, I just didn't like it. You know, I, I didn't feel like that was necessary. Her complaining to the chair umpire and whatnot, I, I didn't feel like that was necessary. And I, it really took me out of the match, honestly. When I saw that, I'm like, okay, like, th- this is just dumb now. Like, this is dumb. This is just very sad to see. But again, I do want to make it clear, uh, you know, that Zhang Shui did have an amazing match as well. And you got to give credit where credit is due. I mean, there, there, there were infinite amount of reasons where she could have easily just squandered her shot of winning that second set but she didn't you know she was able to she was able to win that second set and then carry that momentum into that third set and i think that's very good very important news to hear and i think that's great for us to see as tennis fans to see a person that really is able to compose herself in a way that's through tennis i wouldn't say like verbally you know i wouldn't say face to face right i would say more i would say within the tennis court, the way that she was able to compose herself and carry herself, especially in that second and third set, I thought that was a breath of fresh air. And I really thought those two sets in particular really showed you just how important Zhang Shui is, not only for the lineup and final, but for tennis as well. When you see those winners, I mean, some of those winners, it was just a huge area of the court where she had nothing but net, essentially, nothing but success with. You know, there are times where she would push Diana Yastrzemska so far away from the baseline where she could just scoop out a backhand or a forehand down the line and it would easily be a winner. And I think that's something that Diana Yastrzemska has to sort of figure out if she wants to win. So again, I mean, I thought this was a very important match. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, a lot of people were siding with Diana Yastrzemska, which, which I think is news to hear because a lot of people... I uh, don't really have that many, don't ha- really have that much of a fervor for Diana Yastrzemska. I mean, dating back to last year with the steroid abuse and allegations and whatnot. But I do think that people were supporting for Diana Yastrzemska for the right reasons. And I think, you know, even though it does sting for her, I, even though it does sting to see for her, for her to lose, I, I thought she, overall she carried herself well. And I'm excited to see what's next for her. I really do. I think you know, for her to succeed in the clay season, I think that's something that uh, I haven't really seen from Diana Yastrzemska. So hopefully I'm proven wrong by this year. I really do. I mean, because she is a very interesting person to see uh, on the court. And more importantly, just to be able to see her uh, play as well. Um, and I, I get it. You know, people were very, very much siding with Ukraine in that, you know, even you, you could hear it from the crowd. It was like so many individuals that were just pulling for Diana I mean, when they were when they started to move for Zhang Shui, um, when they started to move for uh, Zhang Shui uh, in that three four game, 
third set i'm like okay like this is i get it you know she's complaining and whatnot but i don't know if i would take it that far you know like i wouldn't and again i get it you know she's chinese like there, i mean there i feel like there were, there was a lot of politics surrounding that match and for me i just want to be invested in tennis i don't really care about the politics involved you know people don't really like china and the chinese government and they sort of lash it on these players which makes no sense whatsoever you should not behold these individuals for what the government has done it makes no sense whatsoever uh but again i i just find it a bit sad to see when people just can't separate the two you know i i just find it kind of sad and when I saw, I, I don't want to speak for tennis Twitter or tennis Reddit specifically because I didn't really see that many people talk about this match. I didn't see Gil Gross. I mean, I love, I love Gil Gross, but I didn't see him, you know, really talk about it on his Twitter. I didn't see any of these individuals on tennis Twitter really talk about it. Uh, honestly, like, it's kind of weird that I'm talking about it, honestly. But uh, but go subscribe to Gil Gross. I, I, I wanted to say that, and I want people to understand, you know, go subscribe to Gil Gross. He's a great channel. I love him to death. Go subscribe to him. I actually have him featured on my channel, uh, my podcast channel. But uh, I never, I didn't really see that many people talk about. It, but I, f- I felt the energy within that tennis court very sort of palpable, and I, and I really saw people really sort of evoke their political leanings onto the court. And I saw a lot of individuals support Diana Yashchenko because of the fact that she was Ukrainian, that people side with Ukraine right now, and because Zhang Shui was Chinese and from China. That people weren't really siding with uh, Zhang Shui because of the fact that she comes from that government. You know, I mean, I, I saw a lot of that within that tennis match, and I really couldn't see myself that fully invested in that match. You know, I, I enjoyed the match for what it was, but I couldn't see myself fully invested where I had I to like put politics and sports in the same thing, which I, I don't want to do. Uh, I'll talk about it, don't get me wrong, but I don't want to just like something for the fact that one person's Ukrainian or and one person's Chinese. Like for me, like I just want to su- see good tennis and I'll support any star that I find is interesting. And Zhang Shui, I mean, for me, like when I saw her complain, I, I, I liked her until I saw her complain. Like that's when I, well, that's when I was a little bit neutral on her. I, I, I didn't hate her for doing that. I just found her bit of a nuisance if i could for lack of a better term i found her a bit of a nuisance uh because of that so yes diana yachemska won against zhang shui it was a pretty interesting match if i say if i do say so myself um and honestly like what is what is the future for diana yachemska funny you should uh, ask that audience i would say i would say that she would i think she has the ability to win a major i mean I wouldn't put it past her. I mean, the WTA is so different from the ATP where anybody can win. Like, it's truly one of those... It's one of those times in the WTA where literally anybody can win. Where anybody can have a Cinderella story and can pull off an upset, right? We saw it with last year at the French Open, I would say, with Elena Rubikina winning against Serena Williams. You can see it again with this. I mean, I wouldn't put it past it. So... I think Diana Yashemska, if she can win, I mean, if she if she can carry this momentum and if she can get more and more support and whatnot, I feel like she can win a major. I don't know if it's going to be the French Open or whatnot, but it could be the U.S. Open or the Australian Open. 
I, I think she has that within her, within her, and I think her being able to do that, I think it would be it, it would mean so much for Ukraine, but more importantly, just for tennis as well. So I, I think that's where I, I'll sort of leave it off at that. Uh, I, for one, am excited to see what's going to come for Diana Yashimska. I think she's a breath of fresh air within the WTA, and I think uh, seeing more of her within this uh, sport, I think that's only beneficial uh, for the sport in the long run. So yes, that's that's where I'll uh, sort of leave it off at that. Uh, let's get into our next bit of discussion, shall we? Um, Novak Djokovic is active for the French Open. This comes in uh, just... I mean, I actually uh, uploaded a clip on my podcast clips channel, so if you guys haven't checked it out, make sure you check out my podcast clips channel. Uh, that's where I talked about Novak Djokovic being active for the French Open, you know, his overall French Open chances. Uh, so go check out that uh, video out. I, re- I released it on my podcast clips channel, and I think you guys will enjoy it as well. Uh, getting back into the topic here, Novak Djokovic is active for the French Open. This is this j- comes in just as fr- France, the country of France, has decided to lift their vaccine requirements. So by default, he's active for the French Open, and as well as the line open as well, which happens in France. And I'm pretty sure he's active for the Italian Open as well because the the country of Italy has also lifted their vaccine mandates. So I think this is great news. If you're a fan of tennis, if you're a fan of Novak Djokovic, to see him play and perform at the French Open, I think that is something that is good to hear for you. If you're not only a fan of Joker but also a fan of tennis, you should be interested in this topic and you should be enjoying what this news means for tennis as well. So I really enjoy this. I think it's great. My overall thoughts on the vaccine mandate and vaccine passport system has been rather consistent, I would say. I'm against both of them with all fervor. I hate it. I think it creates a two-tier caste system. And I think you're going to see more and more division amongst working class people and amongst the populace when these sort of vaccine mandate uh, rules and restrictions apply on a day-to-day basis and on a country-to-country basis as well. So I, I'm against vaccine mandates. I'm against vaccine passports. Getting back to the tennis of things, uh, I know I just said I don't like politics and tennis being lumped into one another, but I feel like with this story and with situations like this, it's just bound to happen where you do have to talk about politics. But I digress. Let's get back into this. Into this. I think this is great news. And I think more importantly, it shows that tennis is still interesting. You know, when you have Rafa Nadal, a person that has won the Australian Open, a person that's won the Mexican Open, but lost to Novak Djokovic last year at the semifinal round, it shows you that this French Open will be quite interesting to see because there's so many storylines. First off, you have Novak Djokovic coming back to repeat his French Open title. You have Rafa Nadal coming back from Mexican Open and the Australian Open, winning both of those, while also losing the French Open last year. You have Daniil Medvedev and how he, if he's able to beat not only Rafa Nadal, but more importantly, Novak Djokovic. And you have this younger generation that hasn't really won anything, but is also competing to win their first major as well. You have Sasha Zverev, you have Stefano Tsitsipas, you have Andrei Rublev, individuals that haven't really won a major yet, but have done so much so far in their tennis career that they're sort of warranted to win a major at some point in their career. And I would even include Matteo Berrettini in that mix as well. You have all of those storylines, including that of Novak Djokovic. I mean, this is going to be a a quite impressive French Open. And I, for one, am really, really excited to see what's going to happen for those two weeks at the end of May. So I think this is great news. This is music to your ears if you're a fan of tennis, if you're a fan of Novak Djokovic. And I, for one, am excited. 
I really am. I think this is great to see. And overall, you know, in terms of how this will affect the GOAT debate, because I always have to leave it to the GOAT debate, if Novak Djokovic is able to win a 21st Grand Slam, I mean, you're going to have to see must-watch. You're going to have to see a must-watch Wimbledon and a must-watch U.S. Open. Because if he's able to somehow win the French Open again and win his third overall, there's a good chance where you're going to see a number one ranking of Novak Djokovic and a number two ranking of Rafa Nadal heading into Wimbledon. They're going to compete for their 22nd Grand Slam title. It's going to be must watch. If that, I mean, obviously I'm projecting here, you know, things can definitely change. I mean, it's not, it's not a set schedule. But if that were to happen, if that was to happen, I mean, it's going to be a must watch Wimbledon Sunday. Seeing a person that's won uh, routinely on at Wimbledon versus a person that's given some of the best Wimbledon matches ever, I mean, such as Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer in that first Wimbledon final they both had. I think it was in like 2008, I would say. I mean, you're gonna, that's probably going to be the best match of 2022. I mean, it's hard to decipher because we're only like two months in, three months into 2022. But be on the lookout if that were to happen. If it's Rafa Nadal versus Novak Djokovic, Wimbledon final, Wimbledon Sunday, both competing to be the 22nd Grand Slam winner, to be technically the GOAT as of that moment in time. Oh my God. Like, I mean, I mean, I, I just got like, I just got goosebumps right now. Like, I, I'm, I'm like, I just got goosebumps. So, I mean, it's just amazing to see if that were to happen. So, again, uh, and also, I, I feel like it's very important to uh, talk about how he'll prepare for the French Open. It's one thing to discuss about the Wimbledon, it's one thing to discuss about the French Open. It's an entirely different thing to discuss whether or not he will be able to compete and, and contend for the French Open, and will he be able to be cleared for these smaller tournaments? Will he be cleared for the Monte Carlo Rolex Masters? Is the vaccine mandate still in effect there? Will he be able to play at the Barcelona Open final, if he's able, or Barcelona Open, if the vaccine mandates are still in effect? I mean, there are certain countries out there that still abide by and still follow the vaccine mandate policy. So will that affect Novak Djokovic in the long run? These questions remain to be answered. And if he's not able to properly practice or strategize his way for the French Open, then you can see a, a similar result to that of, say, the Dubai Tennis Championships where he lost to Jerry Vesley. So I think those questions are very, very important to ask. It's one thing to really sort of predict what's going to happen in two, three months. But it's an entirely different thing to see what's going to happen in the next month or so. And if he's able to play in these smaller, more minuscule tournaments that are essentially the building blocks for Roland Garros and for the clay season in general. So I think those questions remain to be answered. And I think those questions are very healthy to answer or to ask, honestly. You know, it's very important to ask these questions, especially when you're dealing with a player like Novak Djokovic, a person that has routinely been you know, been playing in the thick of it and now because of the vaccine is not able to. You know, questions like that are very, very important to ask. And, you know, you're not a bad person if you ask them, honestly. Uh, so, yes, the, you know, those are the que uh, questions that, you know, remain to be answered. And overall, you know, I'm excited to see uh, what's to come, honestly, for, um, 
for for Novak Djokovic. You know, I think he he's a man that you know still has a lot of gas in his tank. That still uh, has a desire to win and compete. And you know, he's not going to let some vaccine mandate or vaccine policy get in the way of that. He's going to be like, you know what? I still believe, in my opinion, that I'm not going to take the vaccine, but I'm still going to compete and still do well. You know, I'm still going to do the best I can to to win and, and to deliver. And I think that's that's a very interesting th- thing to see, honestly. And um, I, I for one, really want to see, you know, Novak Djokovic hoist that trophy. I mean, I, I try and remain neutral here because, you know, I, I comment on tennis. I, I, I'm a fan of tennis. I try to not have any sacred cows. Uh, but it will be interesting to see Novak Djokovic really hoist that trophy up. I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm rooting for Novak Djokovic because I, I think it's important for me to like remain neutral here. I, I don't really have any players that I, I for one, like, a hundred percent unconditionally support, and I wouldn't even include Novak Djokovic in that discussion either. But I do think, if I think Novak Djokovic lifting that trophy up, I think that's a, a pretty interesting storyline. I think it's a storyline that. Uh, should warn people to really enjoy it, I would say, uh, to like listen to it and, and to really sort of seep it in because he's been through so much. I mean, going back to the Australian Open, I mean, been, him being locked in that room, confined to that room, only eating bread and like really, really crappy food that is, and to see the entire country really support him and to see the entire world support him. I never really seen that before by any other country or in any other story honestly within the tennis world you know i saw individuals that were in favor of vaccine mandates and vaccine passports all of a sudden stick up for novak djokovic and it really shows you that you know cruelty that is shown to civilians that has more it shows you that it has more depth to it than just legislation being passed about it right when you see it firsthand of the cruelty and, and the mistreatment that these individuals have to go through. And not only Novak Djokovic, but also individuals that, you know, don't make as much money as Novak Djokovic. Individuals that are just trying to get by uh, paycheck to paycheck. You know, seeing those individuals go through so much suffering just because they didn't receive a jab. Seeing them get fired for not receiving a, j- a jab from a multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical company. I think that's sad and egregious. and I don't think we should really be standing up for it. You know, I know I say we should, you know, separate politics from tennis, but at some point, you know, they do merge. And, you know, you see stuff like this happen, you know, stuff like this happened two, three months ago where we're still talking about the residual effects after. And I, I think it, it is sad when you see that, you know. So I think seeing Novak Djokovic lift, that, lift up that trophy, I think it's it's going to be a very touching story, a very heartfelt story. And I think it's a story that, you can't really hate on like it's it's hard like regardless of your opinion on Novak Djokovic whether you hate him whether you love him it's hard for me to really hate on or for anybody to really hate on it knowing what he's been through in the past three four months you know dating back to that Australian Open and dating back to the amount of public scrutiny and public ire that he had uh, just because he didn't receive a jab from a multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical corporation I, I mean it, it's just I don't know, man. It's just weird to see people have this much of a dogmatic view on it where they're willing to cancel anybody who doesn't receive 
the same shot that they did. I mean, regardless of your opinion on the vaccine, whether you believe it's effective or not, to see anybody actively cancel individuals just because they didn't receive a jab and to see them get fired just because they didn't receive a jab, I think I think that's kind of of a bitch move, if I may say so myself. It's past the 10-minute mark. I feel like I can swear. So, I mean, that's a bitch move. It really is. And it really shows just how fragile your belief system is within these corporations and institutions if you're willing to legislate and support that kind of rhetoric. So that's just my overall opinions on Novak Djokovic being after the French Open and just news within the tennis world as well. Uh, let's get into uh, our next bit of discussion here, shall we? Um, let's get into Brendan Schaub suing YouTuber for telling jokes. So basically, if you haven't seen it, uh, Brendan Schaub, comedian, podcaster, host the Fighter and the Kid, was on Joe Rogan a handful of times and other podcasts that are per- quite big. Uh, so he's a pretty big comedian, I would say, based in LA, goes to the comedy store, uh, sued a YouTuber that you sued a YouTube channel by the name of Unique. Uh, which is a very sort of weird channel. I would say I would say it's akin to that of say TMZ, but for comedians. So he would cover like internet beefs between stand-up comedians and things that are happening within the stand-up comedy world. It's very it was very sort of TMZ like, but within the guise of like stand-up comedy. So Unique would make videos detailing every comedian, whether it's from East Coast comedy scene to the West Coast comedy scene to the Rogan scene, if you will, uh, and down in Austin. And he would make these videos sort of detailing like inner gossip and whatnot. And he made a video on Brendan Schaub uh, where he sort of mocked Shaw for going to this club and giving out his number to this woman and sort of like putting it in the back of her elbow or something. I don't know. Something along the lines of that. And he sort of made a video about it and and sort of documented him like sort of cheating on his wife or something like that. And as a result, uh, Schaub decided to take his channel down for copyright infringement because apparently Unique played a video of his podcast on his channel. So he took down his uh, channel for copyright infringement and decided to sue him because of that video. And as a result, you see a lot of YouTubers really stick up for Unique and stick up for his channel and sort of go after Schaub, Brendan Schaub for it and sort of lambast Schaub for doing such a thing. And overall, this story is interesting to see. Um, I, I, for one, got pretty engulfed in it. Uh, I spent a few, few days, I mean, not, I wouldn't say a few days in my life, but a few uh, hours uh, just listening to it and, you know, and being enthralled in it, I would say, because I think it's kind of sad whenever a comedian isn't able to take a joke properly. You know, I would say that. I would say that, you know, if you are a YouTuber slash comedian slash podcaster, uh, you should be able to take jokes. You know, you should be able to have people talk about your channel or talk about your podcast and, you know, maybe even slander it. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, what matters is being able to take the jokes. You know, if you're open to the public spotlight, if you're open for the public, you should expect the public to, to hate on you, to doubt on you. You know, I think it's quite normal, if you will, if you have individuals that don't really like you, or if you have individuals that don't really find interest in what you're doing. You know, I mean, I think 
all of it's fair game. You know, if you're a comedian that's able to joke about anything, that should be fair game, as well as individuals that are going to comment on you. You know, that should also be fair game. You know, I mean, I think it's it creates a positive, more active, more healthy discourse if individuals are able to speak what's on their mind and not really fear, um, you know, just, just being silenced. I mean, not being... I mean... It's one thing to like get other people to get mad at you. That's one thing. But to get silenced, get censored over what you're saying, I think that is the core antithesis of what we're built for. And to see Brennan Shop do this, I think it's kind of a sad move to see. And, you know, regardless of your opinion on Unique, I mean, I, I don't know his channel. I mean, I know his channel. Um, I, I try to watch some of his videos, but it's, it's just a little too hard for me. Uh, he's not that engaging, I would say. Like... His voice does get get a little grating at times. And I'm sure people will say the same thing about me, but I, I just don't like TMZ-like videos. I, I don't like... I, I just don't like it. I, I just don't find it interesting. I only talked about it. I only, I'm only talking about this because uh, I saw individuals talk about it. I'm like, okay, maybe maybe there's some you know gas under this, but usually I don't really talk about like the inner gossip of comedy. I think it's, it's such a waste of breath, honestly. Uh, it's best if you just focus on being funny, and, and that's what matters. Um, but, like, the inner, like, oh, what did he say? What did she say? I mean, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It really doesn't. Uh, I just I just feel like if you're a comedian, you should take the punches. You should ro- go with the flow. And if somebody makes fun of you on YouTube or on Twitter, I mean, don't threaten them with a lawsuit. Uh, what's also weird that I saw is that Brendan Schaub... Like the, the the he filed a lawsuit, but the company that he filed the lawsuit under was stationed in Colorado. So I don't know what's happening. He's in L.A. Like he has a like Thick Boy Studios. I think that's the LLC name that he has. It's he does his work in L.A., but it's stationed on, under Colorado. So I don't know what's happening there. I I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, whoever wants to leave a comment down below. I mean. Whether it's on Brendan Shaw or any of the topics that I discussed, leave a comment down below. Uh, I want to hear your opinions and thoughts about this because it's rather quite interesting to see. Um, But, you know, overall, I do think that, uh, you know, Brendan Shaw suing a YouTuber for telling jokes is kind of sad, honestly. You know, you got to roll with the punches, man. You got to roll with, you got to roll with, individuals that you know may make fun of you you know i mean if anything it shows your sense of humor you know if somebody makes fun of me like for me being indian or me being hindu it's like i'll i'll laugh you know like because at the end of the day i'm not the crazy one that's the crazy one you know if you're if you're the person that's you know making fun of me and spending all your time and energy making fun of me i'll i'll roll with it honestly because at the end of the day i realize that it comes from a place of first off it comes from a place of getting to be normal. I mean, like when somebody makes fun of me, I'm like, okay, whatever. He's just trying to ingratiate himself with me and uh, wants to understand more of my culture. But also if he goes a step too far, that just shows that, you know, he's the crazy person, not me. Like I'm the person that's like neutral and like cool and confident. But if he makes a, a joke at my expense or, uh, you know, goes a little too far, like I'm quick to be like, oh no, that's the guy that you got to watch out for. You know, like at the end of the day, like for me, I just like good jokes. Like, it doesn't matter your political idea or your political philosophy as long as it comes from the idea that it's funny and as long as it comes from a place that you find is is truly grounded in the idea of getting laughs and nothing but laughs, 
I support it. You know, I support it. I don't know if Unique uh, was trying to make it funny, but even then, even if he was just, just trying to make a serious video about it, you shouldn't go after him, you know, like at all. It makes no sense whatsoever. If you're if you're a comedian, if anything, understand that attention just leads to more attention. You know, I mean, there's no such thing as bad press, really, when it comes to YouTube beef, right? Because at the end of the day, like, you're getting more and more people to watch your thing. So I don't, I don't know. Now, if this video was somehow like the catalyst for a potential divorce, I mean, that's on you, buddy. Like, that's on you, Brendan. Like, maybe you shouldn't cheat on your wife if that's the case. Uh, I, I'm just saying. I'm just being honest here. Uh, you know, it's one thing to like sue him, but like maybe like don't do it next time. You know, maybe uh, respect your wife and, and not stick thumb, uh, phone numbers to the back of people's elbows. Uh, that's that would be my suggestion suggestion um but yeah i mean i mean overall i i think right now what brendan shop should do is take some time off from twitter take some time off from uh suing people and just focus on making the best podcast imaginable that's what i would do you know just focus on getting the best guest focus on fixing any sort of broken relationships you have whether it's professional or personal and focus on being the best comedian that he can possibly be and then some that's what i would do if i was running shop i would not be suing individuals i would be doing everything in my power to get back any sort of reputation that i have that was somehow positive and that's what i would do not stick phone numbers at the back of people's elbows uh, that's a little too far, a little too egregious, and I don't think that's really necessary. Uh, I, I think right now, just the best thing he could do is just focus on the podcast. Focus on having the best guest. You know, I saw him have Akash sing on The Fight and the Kid. I thought it was a pretty interesting episode. Not going to lie, uh, I don't really wa- listen to that many podcasts. I only listen to, like, Legion of Skanks and, like, Man of Chain Secret podcast on, on the regular. I don't really listen to that many podcasts outside of that. Because uh, I feel like it's best if I just stick to what I do best and, and focus on the topics that I find interesting. Um, but I saw that Akash Singh podcast that he did uh, on po- on The Fight of the Kid. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I also some, some, saw some other podcasts that he's had with some guests that I really enjoy myself. I really enjoyed the Bobby Lee episode that he had with Bobby Lee on The Fight of the Kid. Uh, also... There was like one Dalia episode that he had that I really enjoyed. I think it was like the one where he found out about Snapchat, where like you can like recover old Snapchat messages and you just saw Crystalia's eyes go like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it was like that Squidward meme where he just has his eyes open the entire time. Uh, so yeah, that that was something that I really found interesting uh, to say the least. Uh, so yes, Brennan Shops, who's YouTuber for jokes, he should not be doing that. I think he should focus on the podcast and focus on mending any relationships that he ha- that he's that he has, whether it's professional or whether it's personal. So yeah, that's, that's my overall uh, thoughts and opinions on that. Uh, let's get into our next bit of discussion here. Uh, actually, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about the Brennan Shops. So, so I'm sorry. We'll get into Kanye P. Davidson in like just a minute, but. I mean, I think Brendan Shaw right now, I, I, I think that he needs to release something that shows that he's funny. Release something, you know, release a stand-up clip, release something, anything, you know, whether it's a sketch, 
Anything that you find funny, Brendan, release it. Get people on your side. You know, like get people to value you for who you are, which is being a comedian. You know, whether it's a set at the comedy store, whether it's a sketch, whether it's you and Brian Callen ordering in and out and sticking it up your butthole, whatever it is that's funny, do it because you're a comedian, you know, focus on being funny not on suing. All right. I, I feel like I got that out of my system. Uh, let's get into our next bit of discussion here, shall we? Uh, Kanye West and Pete Davidson are having a back and forth. They're having a beef, a little beef. Uh, Kanye released a music video for, uh, off the song Easy. If you guys don't know, know, don't know the song Easy, halfway through the song, he's like, uh, God save me through that crash just so I could be Pete Davidson's ass. And during this entire music video, it was very dark, I would say. Like, he has, like, a decapitated head of Pete Davidson where he just puts it like in the soil and he puts like seeds like some form of seeds on it on his face you know he holds the head you know he puts it on his motorcycle and he puts like uh pete davidson's body on his motorcycle and he's like driving through it i don't know if i'm making the last one up but it was a quite it was a quite dark music video and uh people were obviously up in arms about it which i understand and uh pete davidson really didn't say anything about it um but Kanye West, you know, really shows that he's a very sort of slimy individual. Uh, and I'm not really surprised by it. It's not the first time I ever saw a death threat in, in a rap. I mean, I saw so many t- people on Twitter that was like, can you believe it? Can you believe Kanye, you know, went after Pete Davidson and is threatening to kill him? Yeah, I can. I mean, it's a rap. Have you listened to any diss track whatsoever? Have you listened to Tupac's diss uh, on, on Biggie? You know, like, have you heard, you know, the diss tracks that, like, Ice Cube and and, and Dr. Dre would have? I, I think those are the two individuals that would go after one another. Uh, I mean, have you listened to No Vaseline? Have you listened to to uh, Nas's Ether? I mean, there are so many times where people threaten to kill the other individual. You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure in the Duppy Freestyle, Drake did it as well. To push a T, or, or or vice versa, maybe Pushy T did it with, uh, with his uh story of OJ diss track, which it was a great diss track. I mean, I mean both of those diss tracks, W Freestyle and the story of OJ diss track, or life of I mean I don't know I don't know what it is. You know what you know the diss track that I'm talking about, the one where Drake is in blackface. Both of those diss tracks were great. I love both of them. I thought that time and and hip hop was so interesting because. You had the diss tracks, you had Kanye releasing Ye, you had everything that was happening in Wyoming with the Pusha T Daytona album, you had ASAP Rocky's testing, like that was a very interesting time in hip-hop. I think that was in like 2018, I would say, 2018, 2019, one of those years, 2018, I would say. And that was a very interesting year for hip-hop, a very interesting time for hip-hop, and yeah, I mean, again, going back to, into this discussion, I don't know why I segued so hard from what I was discussing, but uh, it was very, very interesting to see uh, the amount of people that were just supporting Pete Davidson. And Pete Davidson really is showing that he is a more likable dude. I mean, he was on Instagram briefly. He had a video on his like bio where he linked to uh, the Kings of Comedy, the Martin Scorsese film, where he said, where it was like puts or something. I think the comedian that Robert De Niro plays in that movie is like something, you know, something puts or something like that. It's, I don't know. Forgive me for, you know, misremembering the name, but 
the video of it was like a 10 second clip of him of the comedian played by robert 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 de niro saying i look at like look at the i can't speak today i'm sorry i'm having a hard time speaking i'm very very sorry but robert de niro's character in the film says i look at it like this better be better to be king for a night than schmuck for a lifetime and i feel like that 10 second clip that pete davidson put on his instagram I think did a lot more than whatever post Kanye West did for the past month or so. I think it's great to see, honestly. And at the end of the day, Pete Davidson, he's screwing his chick. So, I mean, at the end of the day, Pete Davidson is winning. You know, I mean, Kanye West bought a home. Like, I feel like this is very creep behavior by Kanye, but Kanye West decided to buy a home on the other side of Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian's of home. So I think that's a little creepy on his part. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like, Pete Davidson's winning. Like, he's winning hard in the paint and in this match. So I, for one, find it interesting. Uh, Apparently, uh, Pete Davidson also owns a bar now. He's, like, an investor in this, like, upscale, eccentric New York City bar. And apparently Robert Pattinson was there to celebrate the Batman and the Batman premiere. And during the entire time that Robert Pattinson was in the bar, he just played Kanye West songs, which which I found to be quite hilarious. I, I love Robert Pattinson. I love the Batman. I'm going to recommend it for my for my weekly pick, but we'll get to that in just one bit in one, just one second. But we'll continue with this discussion with Pete Davidson, and Kanye West. Uh, yes, Kanye West. I feel like he's a very egomaniacal individual. You know, he is a person that you know is bipolar, an individual that. I question, you know, his 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 intrigue or or his lack of judgment. I question his judgment. I question who he is as a person. And, you know, releasing videos like this, I mean, it just proves to you that Kim K has all the say in the world with this divorce. You know, she has all the say in the world. Uh, and it's going to go her way. I mean, it really is. You can't be threatening to kill your ex-wife's new love lover it's you just can't it's just not beneficial for you for the what for your ex for your children it's just not good whatsoever so i sort of view it like that honestly and i i, I can't really side with kanye in this i i just can't i like kanye i like i love 808s and heartbreaks i mean that's my favorite album of his i i enjoyed you know, Life of Pablo. I I enjoyed uh, Yeezus. You know, I also kind of liked Donda. I felt like Donda had its moments in the album. Yay, I enjoyed. We don't speak about Jesus is King here. We don't speak about Jesus is King. That was a really bad album. I mean, my favorite album of his, honestly, is either 808s and Heartbreak or Kid Sea Ghost. Those two are my favorite albums of his. And one of them is with Cuddy, which is technically not his own album, but he did play a significant role in it and i really enjoy both of those albums those are albums that i listen to consistently and i really really enjoy um what he's meant for hip-hop i mean how he changed hip-hop for sampling and how he changed hip-hop in terms of going from a producer to a rapper and sort of putting yourself out there to extend yourself outside of rap i mean that's something that really hasn't really been done before within that art form so i really enjoy Kanye West for what he is, which is a great artist. Uh, maybe not so much a great shoe designer or a great, you know, 
clothing designer. I mean, I think those that's super, some that those are different branches, but you can't deny the influence that he's had in clothing design, right? Or in sneakers. You know, I mean, think about the amount of individuals that will literally camp out for Yeezys still to this day. I don't know if if they still make Yeezys like they used to, uh, but I mean, think about the amount of individuals that you know, view the Red Octobers as like a collector's item, you know, and sell Red Octobers for like four or five figures. Like I've seen people like buy Red Octobers that were like up to like 10 grand. I'm like, you really want to spend 10 grand on sneakers that were made in China? I mean, if you're, if you're going to spend 10 grand, like spend it on like a union made sneaker that actively helps out their healthcare and their worker pay. Don't spend it on Chinese crap. Why? I mean, you know how much you could use with $10,000? You could buy a new car with that money. You could you could spend that money on a top-tier vacation. You could go to France, come back four or five times, and get your money's worth. Why are you spending it on sneakers? Like, like the things people do with their money is so crazy to me. I mean, why are you spending your money on dumb bullcrap like like sneakers? But again, you know, people are dumb like that. You know, it's it's a consumer-based economy for a reason, you know, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, Pete Davidson, I feel in my opinion, while I, I don't view, really view Pete Davidson as talented as, say, Kanye, he's way more likable. And that first special that, I, that, that he released on Comedy Central, I think it was called SMD, Great special. I loved it. I thought it was a great special. I mean, you released it at 22. For a 22-year-old, it's a good special. It's a it's a great special, actually. Uh, no, obviously, a live from New York. Uh, maybe not so great. I mean, he was looking on the he was looking at the floor a lot. Uh, he was pacing. I mean, there were little ticks that I had with the special. You know, just a lot of inside comedy that I, for one, didn't really enjoy i would say uh but overall i i find him to be a very funny comedian and he's showing that each and every day when this news cycle still continues that he is becoming more likable like a lot of people when he was dating ariana grande and you know december uh, that end of the year 2018 that was a very dark year for pete davidson and i feel like slowly but surely a lot of individuals are now siding with pete davidson because of this and I think it's great news for him. Honestly, I, I would continue to just say silent, you know, release a special. Honestly, if Pete Davidson doesn't have a good 45 to 50 minutes of material for this Kanye thing, what is he doing? Like, what is he doing? Like, he should have a special or like a half special, like a half hour special just dedicated to this. I would watch it. Like, I would drop everything I, I would do and watch it. I would even give it a weekly pick. Like, I wouldn't even have to, like, finish watching it for me to give it a weekly pick. I would give it immediately. It would be one of the best things ever. If he, if he released it on the, SNL, on the SNL YouTube channel or on his, like, Instagram, like, him discussing it, like, with an audience, with the stool, with a mic stand, with a microphone, and him talking about it in, like, the small, intimate comedy club, whether it's a cellar or a New York comedy club or the stand or even in L.A. or even Boston, if he did it at, like... Nick's Comedy Stop or like Laugh Boston. Oh my God, it would be amazing. Or at the Winter Circle, you know? I mean, I don't know if he would go to Salisbury, but uh, I mean, that would be amazing. If he could if he could address this, oh my God. Like, and he, if he made like a half hour special about it where he just like, like goes in on Kanye and like 
talks about like i don't know like how his recent albums are like not as great and how it's comparative to his his performance in bed or something like i mean i'm just spitballing ideas comedy jokes comedy ideas that i have but if he could do that oh my god that would be amazing by p davidson honestly but yes uh p davidson kanye west the beef that no one asked for but is highly interested highly interesting and uh, that video even though people didn't like it understandably so I found it quite interesting uh, because it's normal. Like it's quite normal to see, you know, rap beefs like this happen in real time. Uh, it, it is quite normal to see. So let's go. Let's get into uh, our last bit of dis- discussion here. Uh, my weekly pick. So this week, uh, each and every week, I usually recommend a book, a piece of art, a film that I really enjoy that I think you guys will enjoy as well. This week, I'll be recommending Matt Reeves' The Batman. So if you guys don't know. Let me start that over. Each and every week, I recommend a, be- a piece of book. Uh, each and every week, I recommend a book, a piece of film, and an art that I really enjoy. That I think you guys will enjoy. This week, I'll re- be recommending Matt Reeves' The Batman. The Batman is a great movie. I really enjoy this film. It's nearly three hours long, but it doesn't feel like this. It doesn't feel like three hours. The film is about the Batman two years into being the Batman in Gotham City, and how crime has been going up. And as a result, there's a serial killer called the Riddler, played by Paul Dano, who kills very high influential individuals within Gotham to really show Gotham for what it is. And it all leads into the, the finale where the Riddler tries to bring Gotham City underwater, essentially. And I'm sorry if I spoil the ending for you, but I really, really enjoyed this movie. And I think it would be it wouldn't be appropriate if I discussed it without discussing it in its entirety. Uh, this movie is great. I really enjoyed it. Um, great performances by Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Robert Pattinson as Batman, not so much Bruce Wayne. There were very few scenes where Bruce Wayne actually had speaking roles, but him as Batman, it was everything that I wanted and then some. When he steps out of the shadows and co- uh, confronts those people in clown makeup that were trying to beat up that Asian man. It was amazing. It was it was everything that I wanted and like it, it was amazing to see and to see him inflict fear and pain into those people's eyes was something that very few Batman beforehand could really do. Uh, obviously, Christian Bale was a great Batman. You know, I would say him and Robert Pattinson are my two favorite Batman. Uh, but yes, that was an amazing scene. That car chase sequence between the Penguin and the Batman was also must-watch. Colin Farrell had great comedic timing in this film. Like he stole every scene that he was in. He like when he was being interrogated by Commissioner Gordon and by Batman. Like the amount of quips that he have were amazing. And overall, I thought this was a great, great film. It remains to be seen as to whether or not this is better than the, than the Dark Knight, but it's one of my favorite films within the Batman chronology. I would say within the Batman film series. And I would say that this film has a very neo-noir look that's akin to Blade Runner. So if you like Blade Runner 2049, it has a very sort of similar look to that. Very similar aesthetic, very similar vibe. You know, it has this sort of emo sort of look to it, uh, which sometimes people don't really like. You know, people like to see vibrance and colors and whatnot. But I sort of like that sort of like dark, sort of ambient feel to it. And that sort of Nirvana song something in the way sort of exemplifies that within that movie as well. And Michael Giacchino's score 
was impeccable. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it was it was very similar to that. I would say like Danny Elfman's score of like Spider Man. I sort of found like the similarities between the two. Maybe I'm the only one here, but again, I really love this film. I thought it was a great film from start to finish. And what I really enjoyed about this film is that even though it's a superhero film, it doesn't feel like a superhero film. You know, it's very similar to that of say Seven and Zodiac, like those David Fincher movies that you know depict serial killers. It was very similar to that, and. If you're a fan of, say, those films, I think you guys will enjoy this film. So that's my weekly pick for today. Matt Reeves, The Batman. Go check it out. Go watch it in theaters. It's a great film. It's a great film. And I know it's a superhero film. You know, people like to hate on superhero films. I understand, you know, sometimes they can be a little too too much, you know, looking at a UMCU. But this film, I thought, was very poignant, and I thought it was very needed. And it really sort of revitalized, in my opinion, a part of superhero films that were lacking, which is realism. You know, a, a, a part of, you know, our society being sort of reflected. And I thought this film really did a, really, a very touching job at that. So Matt Reeves, The Batman, go watch it. I highly suggest you do. Anyways, guys, I think that's it for the topics for today and for this podcast in general uh, for today. Maybe ever. Maybe forever. Uh, but guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel and my podcast clips channel. Make sure you uh, make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at AjayTucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R with an underscore at the end on my Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you can, you know, spread the word on WhatsApp or on your text chains as well. You know, I think that's great. If you could spread it to one person, this podcast to at least one person, that would make all the difference in the world. You know, spreading it word of mouth, I think it's it's very important to do. Uh, but guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you guys on Thursday. I don't know what I'll be talking about. Maybe the Indian Wells open and obviously things that are happening within our political and societal realm as well. So guys, once again... Thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you guys on Thursday. All right, guys. Peace. See y'all.